going to do spools today. We're going to talk about spools. Okay. So let me share my source sheet. What is Shavuot all about? What are we celebrating on Shavuot, right? The Torah tells us explicitly what, why we celebrate on Pesach. The Torah tells us explicitly it's because Hashem al-Shum, Shepasach Hashem al-Bate Avoseinu b'Mitzrayim, because Hashem passed over the houses of our forefathers in Egypt, and that's why we celebrate on Pesach. What do we celebrate on Sukkot? We celebrate the fact that Hashem took care of us in the desert and that we dwelled in huts, whether it means literal huts, or whether it means that all of our needs were met by Hashem. Either way, we know exactly what we're celebrating. Shavuot doesn't say what we're celebrating at all. Not Nowhere in the written Torah doesn't say anything about what we celebrate on Shavuot. Nothing. Doesn't give us a reason. Doesn't tell us a story. There's no narrative and there's no, no reason given. Go ahead, Alana. Isn't it Chag Matan Torah? The Epo Katuf. That's a good question, but that's how I grew up learning that that was Chag Matan Torah. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, except there's one thing that you left out. It's not Chag Matan Torah, it's Chag Matan Torah Tenu. Oh, yeah, yeah, right, right, of course. But it, <laughs> okay, so it isn't written explicitly, but it is implicitly because of the fact that it's 50 days after Pesach, and that's what we know happened 50 days after the Exodus. So it, it is kind of written, just not explicitly. So you are right about that, but it's not just that it's not written explicitly. That's step number two. Step number one is the Torah doesn't even tell you explicitly by the other holidays, the Torah says explicitly, you celebrate on this day because this, because this. This holiday, the Torah doesn't even say it. Not only does the Torah not say it, unless you actually go into the Chumash and make the calculation of what would have happened historically on that day, you wouldn't even pick up on it, right? So Pesach, let's say we didn't say anything about, the Torah doesn't tell us why we celebrate Pesach. We very quickly would have put together two and two. We would have said, oh, hmm, you bring a carb on Pesach, right? And that's what happened in Egypt, and Hashem saved us. That's a very clear association, right? Sukkah maybe would be less clearly associated without the Torah telling us. Shavuos, there's just no way to figure it out. The only way that you know that the calculation works out is because the tradition teaches that that's actually what happened on that day. Okay? So, yes, you're right. Shavuos is all about, it's all about Zman Matan Torah As an aside, Rav Hirsch asks the question, why indeed... Does it not say explicitly what the reason is? Why doesn't it link the day of Shavuos to the day of the giving of the Torah? Why are we left with the oral tradition for this one? Maybe the oral tradition should suffice. Maybe for Pesach also, the oral tradition should suffice. No, over there we have the written Torah telling us. Maybe for Sukkot, oral tradition should suffice. No, we have the written Torah telling us. The bulk of the Torah is taught orally. But when it comes to certain things, we do speak it out in the written Torah. Why is it that of the three holidays, two of them, the written Torah is where we discuss the reason for the mitzvah, and one of them is in the oral Torah. What is unique about Shavuos? So we're supposed to study all night, and, and maybe if you just study enough, you'll get the answer. Um, I don't know where you're studying, but where I'm studying, we're not getting the answer to studying all night. Uh, we no. would have to come up with that on our own, but yeah. Uh, well, studying with somebody who's learned, yeah. So that's true. So if you would ask someone, hey, why do we celebrate? Then they would tell you that's the oral tradition. But like I said, I really don't think that we necessarily would have put two and two together if not for the fact that the oral Torah teaches us this, which is fine. The oral Torah came before the written Torah. That's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with the oral Torah teaching us something that we could then derive based on a calculation in the Torah. So Rav Hirsch explains like this. He says that the very fact that the 
giving of the Torah itself, the beginnings of the obligation of the, uh, for the Jewish people to keep the Torah and the mitzvahs, the very fact that that itself is only derived using or only known to us with the oral Torah, that's one of the greatest validities or one of the greatest ways to validate the fact that the oral Torah is completely essential and fundamental to our belief. Okay, And even the very celebration of the Torah itself is only in the oral Torah and not in the written Torah. That's what Hirsch wants to suggest. Okay, but what I want to do today is I want to go through a, a fascinating a fascinating halacha regarding Shavuos, okay? Talmud in 68b, in Psachim 68b, right? That's the tractate dealing with the laws of Passover. It was taught in a Breita. Breita is Taneic rulings, right? Taneic, Tana literally means to say over or to repeat. So it is a Taneic ruling that is collected but not collected in the Mishnah, but rather collected in the Breitah, which means it didn't make it into the final authoritative, very, very finely edited version of the Tanaic rulings. It rather remained outside of, which indeed is what Breitza means. Breitza means outside of. So it didn't make it into the final edition. It was lots of, there were lots and lots of chains of transmissions that came down. There were lots of machlokas, there were lots of disputes that was recorded in the Mishnah. And Rabbi Yehuda Anashi, Rabbi Judah the Prince, in the uh, about 230 or so, that's when they finally finished this editing job. It was a 30-year, tremendous, tremendous job, right? Then he cross-references. There's no, um, what was it called? MS Encarta, whatever that one was. There's not even that. wasn't around yet, right? So everything was just pure, pure brain power that was being used there. No computer editing, right? There was information that was that was part of the oral tradition that did not end up making it into the actual Mishnah, but rather it was in the Brisa. So in the Brisa, we learn like this. Rabbi Eliezer says, a person has nothing but to choose on a festival. He either eats and drinks or sits and learns the entire day. But there's no specific mitzvah to eat on the festival. What does that mean? What it means is like this. There's two different options. When we celebrate on a festival, we are celebrating a unique relationship with God. Ultimately, that's what it's all about. The word in the Torah is, what, what do we call the holidays? We call them a overall generic holiday. It doesn't call it Yom Tov. What does it call it in the in Torah? Uh, Chag. And what else? Moed. 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 Exactly. Moed. What does Moed mean? A date. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. But it's not exactly because I'll give you. Some, it says Ohel Moed. What's the Ohel Moed? Does it mean convocation, like a kind of a um, place of meeting? Place of meeting. So what is a Moed? There's Ohel Moed is the tent of meeting, the physical place in this world where we have a, as you're saying, a convocation with God, where we have a a meeting place with God. If that's what the Ohel Moed represents. What do the Moadim represent? More of a bigger meetings Me or meetings. meetings. It's meetings. plural. Exactly, but meetings in time, not meetings in place, right? It's not limited to a physical location where you're going to have this congregational um, gathering together with Hashem. Rather, it's on an individual or community level, but it's in time, not in space, okay? On those holidays, when we are commemorating this special meeting that we are having with God at this time, there's two different angles that we can take. We can either focus on enjoying physically something, 
Why do we enjoy physical? Why do we enjoy physical benefits on these holidays? What would that have to do with God? Why would that be related to God? Right? So it would be a sense of it's easier for me to express my appreciation when I am sated, when I am feeling a great sense of well-being, serenity. I just ate well. If you're an Ashkenazi Jew and you're on Shavuos, after eating a lot of dairy food, you might not feel that sense of serenity. But at least while you're eating, you might feel that sense of serenity, right? So, but there's a sense of well-being that permeates when you're eating delicious food and you're gathered together with family, you're having some delicious old wine. And that would be option number one. And that angle would be seemingly a very, all about what we say, the way that we describe it is, kulo lachem. It is all for you. The reason why we describe it as that, as we will see in a minute, there are two different verses in the Torah that describe the Yomim Tovim, the holidays, the Mo'adim, and one of them describes it as, as in it, it should be an assembly for Hashem. One describes it should be an assembly for you, right? Well, which one is it? Is it an assembly for Hashem or an assembly for you? So the, the, the colloquial term, terms that we use is, is it Lachem for you or is it Lashem for Hashem? Okay? So if we're going to sit there and eat and drink, that's one way to, to go about our business. The other way to go about our business is to say, I sit, I learn Torah, and I daven the whole day. Now, the, the crucial question really is, though, which one's for you, which one's for Hashem? So, so famously, the, uh, the Gera Rebbe, one of the early Gera Rebbe's, Fas Emes, he stayed up the whole night learning on Shavuos. And in the morning, he said, okay, now I did Kule Lachem. The past, last night, everything was all for me. I was learning Torah the whole night. What could be better? Now I'm going to eat food. That will be for the sake of Hashem. You know, Hasidim like the, <laughs> it was like the twistings around. There, there is a sense there. There is a, there is a rhyme to the, you know, to the reason to the madness. And the reason is because um, if you take the physical and elevate it, indeed, it could be for Hashem. And if you're enjoying the learning Torah, then that could be also Lacha, right? Okay. So where he sits and learns the entire day, no specific mitzvah to eat on the festival. Rabbi Yeshua, on the other hand, says divide the day, half of it for eating and drinking, half of it for the study hall. For he holds that eating and drinking are obligatory on the festival. He says you have to split it in half. And there's a question when he says split it in half, how literal is that? That is, that is what the halacha follows. Halacha follows the opinion of Rabbi Yeshua. How literal is that? Does that mean like up until midday, you have to be busy learning Torah and davening? And then at midday, like, all right, let's go party. Right? How exactly do you split that in half? That's the question. It's actually discussed in halacha. It's not, not a joke. It's actually discussed in halacha. How do you split that up? Now, Rabbi Yochanan explains, both of them derive their opinions from one verse. The two of them address the same textual difficulty, the same contradiction, resolving it in different ways. For one verse says, it shall be an assembly for the Lord your God. You shall do no labor, which indicates the day is set aside for divine service. Another verse says, it shall be an assembly. For you, you shall do no servile labor, which indicates a celebratory assembly for the Jewish people. One of them says, lachem, or one of them says, lachem. Right? So if we say, lachem, it means, do stuff for you. When we say Hashem, it means do stuff for Hashem. Rabbi Eliezer holds the two verses should be understood as offering a choice. The day is to be either entirely for God or entirely for you. And Rabbi Shua holds that it's possible to fulfill both verses, split the day into two, half for God and half of it for you. Okay, so far so good in regards to the other holidays. What about Shavuot? Is there anything unique about it? Right? We see that there's some things, many things that are unique about Shavuot. Although we call them the Shalosh Regalim, the three pilgrimage festivals, we do call them and we equate them together there are many multiple ways in which Shavuos is not similar the other two holidays are how many days each seven days each Shavuos is only one day right what's so what, what's the deal with that right 
Suppose, as we said before, it doesn't even give us a reason why we're doing it, right? Whereas the other two does, right? So Shavuos is also unique in this regard as well. I mean, as I said, all agree with regard to Atzara, the holiday of Shavuot, that we require that it be also for you, meaning that it's a mitzvah to eat, drink, and rejoice on that day. What is the reason? It is the day on which the Torah was given. And one must celebrate the fact that the Torah was given to the Jewish people. This right here, the not in bold, that is the explanatory idea. That is not the actual Talmudic text. And that is based on Rashi. Rav Shlomo Yitzchaki explains that this is the reason. Now, let me ask you a question. If I were to tell you that Shavuos were unique, right? That everyone agrees one way about Shavuos, right? There was a dispute earlier. Is it that you choose each holiday which one you want it to be? Or do you split it in half? But everybody agrees about Shavuos something. What would you have said? Which one is the, which angle would they take? The time that it's at, it actually is celebrated. That is specified. What, what do you mean? Like, it tells you to start counting the Omer, and it tells you when it ends, and it tells you it's seven weeks after Passover. That gives you the time, the actual date. Yeah, well, I guess what I'm asking is like this. I mean, it wasn't so clear. What I'm asking is, we know that there's a dispute. When it comes to the Moadim, there's a dispute. Do we say you do one or the other, or do we say you do split it in half? But Rabbi Lezer says everybody agrees that Atzeret, Shavuos, is unique. Now, if I were to ask you, would you assume that Shavuos is unique insofar as since it is the day we get the Torah, it's the day that we celebrate with the Torah? Or Shavuos is unique insofar as it's the day that we got the Torah and therefore we eat a lot of food and drink? Huh? Doesn't <laughs> equate, right? It's it's the in other ways, too. The other two holidays are on the full moon and Shavuot is not on the full moon. Another good point, yeah. And they're exactly uh, 180 degrees apart. Uh, if you made the calendar a circle, they're uh, diameters with each other. And Shavuot is like another time. Yeah, random place. Yeah, so you know, definitely a lot of ways in which it's unique. But if I were to tell you, hey, everybody has to get some here. We're going to put down money and betting on this, right? If Shavuot is unique, the way in which it would be unique, presumably we would assume it's, it's in the sense of keeping the Torah. Because it's about the day we get the Torah. It's the day that we learn Torah. But instead, no, no, everybody agrees this day you need a party, right? So th th this, this piece right here is giving us some, some explanation. And like I said, this is based on Rashi. Ultimately, the way that we celebrate things is through food and drink, right? You tell me the last time you went to a party and you showed up and there's nothing to eat and nothing to drink and you were like, well, where's the party, right? You know what I mean? Like th there is no party without food and drink. So there is, it, it is a human condition that when we have food in front of us, when we have drinks in front of us, we are in a different mood, just a completely different mood. This condition basically comes right out of the womb. The baby starts crying when he doesn't have food for a long time. And then we get older, we don't cry anymore, but we have a very similar condition called hangry, right? When there's a good food in front of us and wine in front of us, we are in a completely different mood. This is not me making this statement. This is already the Sefer HaChinuch going back 700 years. And he's explaining why it is that the rabbis always key in holidays they, they key it in with a cup of wine in your hand it's not just holidays you have a brit milah you have a cup of wine in your hand you have a wedding cup of wine in your hand right they have a bunch of alkies like what's going on over here right no that's not the answer the answer is that they're not alcoholics the chinuch says the reason is because when you have a cup of wine in your hand there's a different mindset it's just a completely different um sense of once again i go back to the sense of well-being that permeates people
um now like all those memes going around like at the beginning of the pandemic like the mothers were homeschooling and like had a cup of wine in the right hand and the left hand are trying to get their kid on to the you know zoom school on time you know um but yeah that's not what we're talking about we're talking about that doesn't give you a sense of well-being but that's a different story okay so now let's look let's look at the other two that are included in in this category okay so when it comes to moadim shvuot is unique that it's the one in which everyone agrees it has to be lachem for you Rabbi said, all agree with regard to Shabbat that we require that it also be for you, that it be also for you. What is the reason? Because the verse states, if you proclaim Shabbat a delight, the sacred day of God honored. So Shabbat also is an indication in the verse in Isaiah that it's also a day in which we need to celebrate through food and drink. Rabbi Yosef said, all agree with regard to Purim that we require that it be also for you. What is the reason? Because it is written in Megillat Esther to observe them as days of feasting and gladness. So we have three different reasons, right? Or sorry, we have three different unique holidays that everyone would agree, no matter what your position was elsewhere, that these are days in which you need to celebrate, um, to celebrate in a way that it is in a physical enjoyment, a physical pleasure in this world. Everybody agrees about these three holidays. The reason being for the first one, it's a logical reason. The reason being for the second two, it's not logical. It's based on verses. What's the common denominator between these three holidays? that these three holidays would have to be uniquely tied to actually celebrating, right? In a way that includes physical celebration and not just la shem for the sake of God, okay? So what I wanna say is like this. I wanna suggest that, and let's, let's go one step further and then we'll come back to this actually. Let's go one step further in the Gemara. The Gemara relates that Rav Yosef on the day of Shavuot would say, prepare me a choice third-born third born calf third-born calf, for whatever reason, is considered to be the, the best type of calf, right? Built and not a farmer. He said, if not for this day on which the Torah was given, that caused the Jewish people to have the Torah, how many Yosefs would there be in the market? It is only due to the importance of Torah study I've become a leader of Jewish people. I therefore have a special obligation to rejoice on this day. Okay? So, like this. There's something unique about Shavuos, Shabbos, and Purim. Right, So it, it is true that we have reasons given, either a logical reason or a verse that teaches us this. But what is the underlying reason why these three holidays have a, a unique consistency to them, that they actually have this law that you do have to enjoy yourself, as opposed to the other holidays that don't have this you know, special um, qualifier or addendum? I thought Sukkot had a, and Shmini Atzeret had an obligation to rejoice. Great, great question. Great question. And it, it, there is an obligation to rejoice on those days, right? And there's an obligation. It says, um, it says, um, right? It talks about simcha, okay? Simcha does not have to mean physical pleasure. Oneg, right? The word over here, if you proclaim Shabbos Oneg, right? If you call Shabbos Oneg the light, that implies a physical pleasure. Einik Shabbos, we say one of the ways that we have Einik Shabbos is by taking a nap on Shabbos afternoon, right? That's the, the minig. The minig is you take a nap, not just because you had challenge, right? It's also because there's something unique about taking an afternoon nap. There's something so, so special about knowing that you have nothing else to do. I mean, you have to learn Torah, you have to do mitzvahs, you have to hang out with people, but you don't have anything obligated to do, right? So you get to take your nap, right? Your um, siesta. So that, that's something which implies physical. And Purim says explicitly, you may mishta v'simcha. Mishta is a feasting, right? But when it says v'samach v'chagecha, you are right, Cheryl, you are absolutely right that halacha today, and, and that is how we, remember, we follow the opinion of Rabbi Yeshua that we do both, 
right? So the halacha today is, of course, that is how we end up carrying out the mitzvah of simcha, is through eating meat and through drinking wine and buying new clothing for women and giving kids candy, that you are absolutely right. But the actual implication of the word simcha wouldn't necessarily have to mean that. It could have meant simcha without actually, there are other ways to get be happy in this world, right? There are, there are other ways to be happy other than, other than food and, and wine. Um, not so many, but there are a couple. Um, it's like this. So I, I think the common denominator is like this. When you think about what Purim is all about, Purim and Shavuos are intimately related to each other. Does anybody know why? Talmud teaches us be, a beautiful idea and it, it is very explicit in the, in the Megillah. The Talmud teaches us that at the time that God gives us the Torah at Har Sinai, you know what happens? Hashem holds the mountain over our heads and says, if you accept the Torah, great. If you don't, I'm going to drop the mountain on your heads. And it's a fantastical fable, right? And it's just like, it, 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 it doesn't really make that much sense. On many, many different levels, we could ask many questions on this Talmudic passage. So the Meshachachma explains, you have to understand the Talmudic passage does not mean to say God lifts up the mountain and holds it over their heads. It is a metaphor. The metaphor was that our free will was compromised. You know what happens when someone lifts a mountain up over your head and says, I'm going to kill you if you don't say yes to whatever I'm asking you? The answer is you say yes. Did you choose to say yes? Not really. You were coerced to say yes. Coerced decisions, not legally valid, not valid in halacha either. When we talk about the mountain being held over our head on us, we don't mean that God lifted up the mountain. We mean it was coerced. Our acceptance of the Torah was coerced. In what sense was it coerced? We weren't forced. We weren't compelled. We actually were compelled. You know why? Because we saw God and we heard the voice of God. And let me tell you guys something very, very important. Alana, even your 12-year-old who you just taught the... If God showed up there and said, you got to learn Torah. You got to do mitzvot. She'd be like, okay, it's relevant again. Okay? That, that is what would happen. Guaranteed. I guarantee you. I'll put that money on the head. Um, so what happens is we see God. We see God, our, our free will is completely compromised. We no longer are making decisions. We think we're making decisions. We're not making decisions, okay? Our acceptance of the Torah, therefore, is somewhat compromised. As I said before, legally coerced decisions are not legally binding. So the Talmud even says that, that technically the decision to accept the Torah at Harsinai is not so legally binding. Mikan moda'a. Rabba Leoraisa. From here we see a great Moda Rabba Leoraisa, a great pre-existing acknowledgement, basically, that the Jewish people could say to Hashem, listen, we didn't keep the Torah, but <laughs> you forced us to, to accept it. We never accepted it. We entered into a covenant unwillingly or coerced, so you can't now blame us when we don't live up to our side. Talmud says, however, when it comes to the days of Purim, we re-accepted it willingly. How do we know that? If it says in the Torah, it says in the Megillah Esther, in the scroll of Esther, it says in the, the, these days of Purim, kimu vikiblu. Kimu means they upheld, vikiblu means they accepted. What does it mean to say kimu vikiblu? How, how do you uphold something before you accept it? It doesn't make any sense, right? What is it very reminiscent of? Where else do we find something? Very similar. At Mount Sinai, you say now seven ishma. And outside, you say, first you say, we will do, and then you say, oh, slow down, what is it that we're supposed to be doing again? Right? So the, the Talmud says, listen, there's a very, very close parallelism here. And what, the, the, what we're really trying to say is not kimu 
the decree, that little, the micro decree that you should have the Megillah read and that you should have parties on that day. The Kimu really is a reference to the fact that we accepted upon ourselves willingly the Torah. And it was no longer a coerced decision. So Purim and Shavuos are associated with each other. They are both times in which there is a acceptance of the Torah. So now, so that's a connection. That's a connection. But what does Shabbos have to do with anything? And once again, we still haven't answered the original question, which is, okay, so, so what if it's an acceptance of the Torah? Why is the celebration with wine and a third-born calf? The celebration should be, we learn Torah. We do mitzvot. That should be the celebration, right? So let's look at the next source. Um, okay, it's getting late already. So the, the, uh, the halacha is that we, as are enacted for the Jewish people, they should read the portion of the curses that are recorded in Leviticus before Shavuos, right? We just read it last week, right? The portion of the curses was the last Shabbat. This week, we don't read it because um, we read it a week before, okay? So it, we, we always read it right before, though. Why do we read it? Why is it that we enact it to make sure that that's how the Torah split up? So the Gemara asks, oh, sorry, sorry. Rish said, in order that the year may conclude together with its curses and the new year may begin without the ominous reading of the curses. Gemara asks, granted, with regard to the curses that are recorded in Deuteronomy, there is relevance to the reason. In order that the year may conclude together with its curses. The Rosh Hashanah is clearly the beginning of a new year. Right? We have this beautiful idea. When a new year is coming, we want that, that whatever bad things happen, we want it to go away. We want it no longer to be extant as we go into the new year. That's beautiful. But what does Shavuos what have to do with the new year? Why do we want to read the curses right now? With regard to the curses that are recorded in Leviticus, what relevance does that reason have? Is that to say Shavuos is a new year? Gemara answers, yes, indeed. Shavuos is also a new year, as we learned in a Mishnah. And on Shavuot, divine judgment is made concerning the fruit of the trees, which indicates that Shavuos has the status of a new year. Why? Because it's a, a day in which there's a judgment that takes place. There are four new years, the Mishnah and Rosh Hashanah tells us. And one of those new years is the new years for the trees, the fruit of the trees, which happens on Shavuot. So Shavuot also has the status of a new year. And therefore, it is appropriate to say this is a good uh, interval to try to say, let's get rid of all the curses at this point. Now, there is a different Talmudic passage. I did not have time to put it up. That says that the reason, the, what's the special avoda that we do, the special service that we do on Shavuos? Is there anything special? We don't eat masa. We don't go into a sukkah. We don't shake the lulav. We don't eat the carbon paste stuff. We don't eat mar. What do we do on Shavuos? What is unique? And eating dairy does not count. <laughs> that is not a mitzvah. I mean, it's nice, but it's not a mitzvah. What's unique? The special thing. There's only one special thing that we do on Shavuos. And then even that we only do when the temple's around. We bring what is called the Shteha Lechem. Okay? Two loaves of very, very fine wheat flour as an offering. And this, this offering is only brought on Shavuot. It's not brought any other time of the year. Talmud says the reason why we bring the Shteha Lechem, it is associated that as we bring the Shteha Lechem, that will help for the judgment of the fruits of the tree for the next year. What's the problem with that statement? What type of bread, what type of flour are we using? Wheat. Wheat. How is wheat associated with the fruits of the tree? They both grow from the ground. That's true. But if you're going to bring something that, that you want to associate with the fruits of the tree, then bring a carbon from, uh, you know, a flower that's made from a fruit, maybe. You know, these days you can make flour from anything, right? Uh, bring, <laughs> bring, bring a carbon that maybe don't bring, bring bikurim, right? Bring bikurim. That, that is the first fruits, right? And that would be associated with it. You're bringing specifically a wheat. So, so what's the deal? So there's a beautiful answer given. 
And it's based on this, this Talmudic passage. Okay, so up to Talmudic passage number three. We start off with the question of what's so unique about Shavuos. Shavuos and, and Purim are associated with each other. That makes sense. We still haven't answered, well, why is that a reason in general, getting the Torah? Why is that a reason to celebrate physically? It should be a reason to celebrate in a very spiritual vein about learning Torah. And we then we said, and what's unique about Shabbos? That Shabbos is also in that same category, right? Well, then we quote. We yeah, quoted, I was thinking, you know, wheat is the one thing that that uh, you you didn't have it during Pesach, and you may have had it uh, on the ninth day after Pesach. You might, but you might not. I mean, some people like just keep eating gluten free for the whole rest of the year. But um, you know. Uh, there's something about, you know, adding back in the wheat, back into your diet after Passover. There's something symbolic about it, maybe. And then when you get to Shavuot, it's like required. Yeah, there's something to that. I think there's definitely something to that also. It is about bringing chametz back into the world. Why would you associate wheat specifically with the fruits of the tree? So let's look over here. We learned in the Mishnah, one who recited, who creates fruits of the tree, in other words, bore priha eats, right? Over fruits of the earth, but he is actually eating vegetables, does not fulfill his obligation. We're asked that is obvious, as fruits of the earth do not fall under the rubric of trees. You said bore priha eats. This is not priha eats, fruits of the tree. This is priha dama, fruit from the ground, from the earth. Nachman Yitzchak said this ruling in the mission is only necessary according to the opinion of Rabbi Huda, who said in another context that wheat is a type of tree, as we learned in a Brisa. The tree from which Adam, the first man, ate, Rabbi Mayer says it was a vine. <clears throat> As nothing brings wailing and trouble upon man, even today, other than wine. As it is stated with regard to Noah, and he drank from the wine and became drunk. Let's, let's skip to here. Abihuda says it was wheat. The fruit of the tree of knowledge was wheat. As even today, the child does not know how to call his father and mother until he tastes the taste of grain. Based on this, it might have entered your mind to say, since Rabbi Yehuda said that wheat is a type of tree, one should recite over it who creates fruit of the tree. Therefore, the Mishnah taught us that with regard to blessings, the principle is different. Where does one recite who creates fruit of the tree? Only in a case where when you take the fruit, the branch remains and again produces fruit. Okay, but what do we see from this Talmudic passage? Rabbi Yehuda is of the opinion that wheat is a type of tree, right? And if wheat is a type of tree, then it's appropriate to make a bori, hypothetically, it would be appropriate to make a bori piece. I don't know Rabbi Huda holds it's a type of, uh, the wheat is considered to be a fruit of a tree. Because Rabbi Huda said that the wheat was the eighth hadas, was the fruit of tree of knowledge. Right? Okay, so now let's go back for a second. Now let's start sewing things up a little bit. Okay? So if we say that the fruit of tree of knowledge was actually really wheat, it's very appropriate that we would be bringing wheat on Shavuos. Why? Because what we're saying now is we bring an offering from wheat. And that's going to impact the fruits of the rest of the year. Well, let me tell you guys something pretty interesting. What is compared to a tree in the Torah? Anybody know? The Torah. The Torah is a Very good. That's one place. The Torah is compared to to um, to a to a fruit to a tree. But what else oh, is compared to tzadik, a tree? Tzadik, uh, the tzaddik is the like the cedar of Lebanon. No, yeah. I mean, like a date palm. Yeah, and exactly. the cedar of Lebanon. You're, you are right. A tzaddik is compared to it. Um, and not only that, in, in last week's Haftarah, we read from, from Yirmiyo, from Jeremiah, 
And we read it, Blessed is the man who trusts in God, and Hashem will be his guarantor. And then we read it that he will be like Exactly. That a beautiful, a beautiful, beautiful line. One of the most beautiful lines in, 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 in Navi and Prophets. And what it says is that the person who trusts in God, God will be his guarantor. He'll be like a tree that is planted very close to water sources where roots go very deep. And no matter what comes to buffet him and assail him, he will not budge. He will be who he will be. But really, it goes earlier than that. You know why? Because it says, Kiha Ish. I'm sorry. Kiha Ish, Yeah, I still remember which direction it was. Is it Kiha Ish, or is it Ish? Right? I think it's the other way around. When we're talking about the idea of besieging people in, in, in the fifth book of the Torah, in Varim, Deuteronomy, we talk about is you're not allowed to cut down trees, fruit trees, needlessly, right? Which is al techros, do not cut them down, right? Bal tashchis, do not destroy. Why not? Is a tree a man who's attacking you that you could destroy him? So what do we see? We see that a tree is compared to a person. So the the uh, there's a very famous rabbi. His name was, I believe, Rabbi Pinchas Harvis. Pinchas Harvis, I think, lived in the 1600s, and he wrote a book called the Shnei Luchot Habrit. Right, the two tablets of the of the covenant, and he then became known from then on. He became known as the Shla. Shla is the acronym for Shnei Luchot Habrit. Right, Shla <laughs> Shin Lamed Hey. So that became like his acronym. It, it, that's in, in Judaism. You write a sefer that lives on after you and becomes like one of the you know big svarim, big svarim, big books. You'll get known by the name of your sefer. Okay, so therefore he's known as the Shla. So the Shla explains like this. When we talk about the fruits of the tree being judged on Shavuot, you know what type of fruits we're talking about? You know what type of tree we're talking about? We're talking about the fruits of the tree that is called wheat. What is wheat? Wheat is the stand-in for the knowledge that is gained through learning Torah. What is the Eitzadas? What is the Eitzadas? What is the Eitzadas Tobara? What does that mean? What did they eat when they ate this fruit? It's like some sort of limitless fruit, magic fruit that gives you your magic mushrooms, and you have an expanded, uh, you know, um, um, conception. Brain, brain power. <laughs> brain power? No, that's not what it was. Of course, that's not what it was, right? It was rather the Torah. Okay. So when we talk about the wheat being associated with the Torah, there's a very clear association. Wheat, Torah, fruits, man. What do I mean by that, right? So if you put together those, those four, stain, four, four um, phrases, what you end up with is that when we bring the Shtei Alechem on on, on Shavuot, it's symbolic of the fact that on Shavuot we're going to be judged for learning the fruits of the man, which is the learning that we will accomplish over this entire year. Okay, so that's why we bring Yishtei Alechem, even though it's all about the fruits, because the fruits that we speak about here are not just fruits of the tree. It is fruits of the tree, granted, but it's also fruits that are associated with the fruits of our payros, that that which we are able to bring into this role, that which we are able to give out. I said at the beginning, Alana said that is is man matan Torah, and says not man matan Torah, it's man matan Torah tenu, which means it is the time of our Torah. It's important for each and every one of us to recognize, and this is based on a medrash. The medrash tells us that all of us were at Har Sinai. We weren't there physically, but our souls were there, right? And the medrash tells us that not only were our souls there, each one of us learned Torah at Har Sinai. Our souls learned Torah at Har Sinai. That is our job to uncover and reveal to the world. 
That's our portion of the Torah. You say Matan Torah Tenu, it means that not only are we part of the community that has this Torah present given to us, as individuals, we each have the Torah given to us. Okay? Important thing for us to recognize. I still didn't answer the question. The question was, let's go back for a minute. Why is it that we're celebrating with food and drink, right? On the day, that's all about accepting the Torah. So the answer is, when you think about what the Torah really is, what is the Torah? What does the Torah do for us? The Torah gives us a discipline. The Torah gives us the sense of purpose, directed enjoyment of this world, right? It is only through the Torah we can have directed enjoyment of this world. The, the, the Pasuk says, right, with Cain, Cain wants to kill his brother. He's very jealous of his brother. And Hashem says, Lepesach chatas rovets, at your doorway, the evil inclination. Sin is crouching and waiting for you. And it's up to you to decide if you want to overcome him. Right? It's up to you. you if you want to, you can. The Talmud teaches, what does that mean? How, can we, how do we overcome the evil inclination? The Talmud says, when we receive the Torah, it gives us the ability to overcome the evil inclination. Without the Torah, it's not possible. A little bit of a backwards way of looking at things, right? Really, we always think of it as the Torah creates these limitations and creates a, a disincentive to enjoy this world, right? It's actually quite the opposite. The Torah actually gives us the ability to enjoy this world with purposeful pleasure, with directed, actionable lifestyle. Okay, that's what the Torah allows us to do. So it's only when we come to this recognition that that's, that's actually what the Torah is. Then you can say, you know what? On these days that are all about accepting the Torah, those specifically are the days that I enjoy myself through physical pleasures. Because now I can enjoy physical pleasures with the proper guardrails in place that I will not become a physical being, an only physical being. I'll be able to feed both sides of myself, the physical and the spiritual. I'll be able to extract the spiritual from the physical, but only through the Torah's wisdom, through the Torah's insight. So on those two days, it's particularly appropriate to enjoy the physical because that's something that's only really possible to do properly with the Torah. Now, why Shabbos? Why is Shabbos also in the same category? Well, Shabbos is the seventh day of the week and you need to rest on the seventh day. But the mitzvah of resting on the seventh day is only possible, it is dependent on having worked the first six days of the week. First, you have to work the first six days of the week. Then you can rest on Shabbos. It means you have to be busy in the physical world. The seventh day you live a spiritual life. It's me'in olam haba. It is akin to the world to come. It's not a, not a physical life. It is a spiritual life, right? But on the six days of the week, it is a very physical life. And you can only get to the spiritual through first accessing the physical. So Shabbos also, there has to be the sense of it is our way of extracting the treasures from the physical world on Shabbos as well. Okay, that's that's what I wanted to share with you guys. It was a little. Okay, take care, guys. Be well. Shabbat shalom.